I'm surprised you knew that. Why? Well, because wasn't that like the 80s? 90s? Maybe. Maybe. When did when did you come to singing memory age? Uh, very young. It was always a thing I was very interested in. So. Sure. And you, um, that's like your wheelhouse, singing. Yes. Was Amy Grant popular in the world you grew up in? Mm, yes. Did your um, church do Amy Grant songs? No. So, so the thing about Christian music... Right, um, like popular music is. I we had a really outstanding music minister. Really, like he was really, really great, um, and particularly musically talented, which I feel like sometimes is not always the case. Um, and so, um, the music ministry was always doing really great stuff. And so, I'm sort of familiar with some of this like new agey stuff that was sung in churches. Okay. My family did not listen to like popular Christian music. Like KLTY, and I guess maybe that's just a Dallas thing, but um, we that is not a thing <laughs> either of my parents were interested in listening to. So I don't really know like the popular, like radio Christian music. Okay. I was never very familiar with it, but stuff that was sung at church, I was like very familiar with. Well, I'm glad you knew that song because that was fun. Yeah. I feel like that one also reminds me of, I don't think they're quite the same time, but... Days of Elijah is... Oh, that's great. But that came out way after the Amy Grant song. Did it? Yeah. Okay. Um, Amy, well, I say way after. You know how when you're younger, the years apart seem so far apart, but then they're like three years apart? Yeah. Days of Elijah came out when I was in high school. Okay. These are El Shall the Die came out when I was a kid. Elijah. Um, I always, I would sing that song a lot with Dan Vinson. I don't know why. Dan Vinson? Yeah. What a guy. What a guy. Um, well, Taylor, mm-hmm. I, I literally have up on my phone Dogecoin. It's having a good day right now. Okay. You know, hey, this is something we can talk about. You can help me get to the, I don't have this on the list, but that's a great prompt. Dogecoin? So, yeah. D- part of the reason, you know, Dogecoin live or dies by Elon Musk. Elon? Elon. Elon. Elon Musk. I don't know. Um, so like if he tweets about it, it just goes up. Like the only reason it has any credibility is because of him. It's because of, Yeah. Uh, which he's like the second wealthiest person in the world right now, so it's not yeah. insignificant. Sometimes he's the first. That's true. Um, and have you seen this? He's going to be on SNL Saturday. People are mad. Yeah, and the just so I can get the Dogecoin thing, they're working on a skit called the Doge Father, I guess. Oh, okay. Which I actually told my brother-in-law, I think this could be bad because if for they Dogecoin. Like, yeah, because if it's like satirical and he like buys into it, it could be like. Making oh. fun of the fact that it's really devalued. But anyhow. Yeah, it could be bad. What a crazy world we live in when a SpaceX CEO is going to be on SNL and that affects my currency in a stock market. In a <laughs> cryptocurrency, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah why, why do people not want to be on the thing with him? Because he's rich? Because he sucks. What does he suck again? Mm, at being a good human. What ways is he a bad human? Well, he's a billionaire. So he's rich. Yeah. Okay. But that is um, morally bad. So do you think he should give away all of his money and then he could be a good person? Mm, I don't think that would necessarily make him a good person, but it might. It would be a step on the road. 
What if he doesn't actually have the money? It's just in his wealth, like his stock options. He should sell those things. And give the money away? Yeah. Okay. What if that would um, hinder the development of the company he works for and people lost jobs? It doesn't... Why would he give away that much money? I don't know. He doesn't have to do that. What's the benchmark for being too rich? I don't have that. Okay. But that's why people are mad is because of his wealth? Oh, I don't know why people are mad. I I mean the SNL cast people. I mean, he's like, you know, he says annoying things on Twitter and he kind of is a weird eccentric guy. I don't, I don't quite know why people are mad. Okay. Except I didn't know if there was like another moral thing. Like there might be, I mean, there might be. Yeah. I just don't know what it is. Hey, can we go back to the money discussion? Dogecoin? Yeah. No money. Like being rich. Oh, sure. So there's, um. There's research. I need to find this because I loosely cite this all the time, but I've never seen it. I've okay. Heard. But it's like the the human happiness scale uh-huh. of income mm-hmm. where it's like diminishing diminishing returns over and under. So like it's true that if we all made, I think it's $70,000, we'd be happier. Life's easier. But over like one whatever, you like stop being one, happier. Like 100 or 1 million? Like, no, it's like 100. Over 100,000 something? It's like 100 and Six, I mean, there's research, right? It's a very specific number. Right. Um, so there's that kind of data. Uh-huh. But um, so you personally, what what a dollar amount would you like? Like, okay, this is too much. I'm morally compromised. Now I have to give away everything over this dollar amount. Ooh, what a good question. Um, I've never thought about that. Like, what is the dollar amount? I mean, mostly because it's like I plan on being a pastor for most of my life. I don't imagine that I will ever have like the wealth that would that would even be approaching something like that but um that's a good question to ask myself because it's like I should have I mean if I am morally and ethically against like billionaires then I think I should have that number but well, I, I here's don't Well, another really question. Do. So like Bezos I think is different because he is in a world that we all almost inescapably participate in. Sure. But like Musk, he's building rockets and electric cars. Yeah. Like, so the way to protest his wealth would be to stop buying those things. Yeah, I guess. And he's made electric cars a lot cheaper with economies of scale. Sure. So is he bad? I think being a billionaire is morally bad, yes. But, you know, like the consumers have made him rich. Sure. I think capitalism is not I great. think that's fair, and that's a different discussion. Sure. But even with Bezos, like I think Amazon has some really shady employee practices. Right, definitely. But like if everybody in the – we've talked about this. Everybody stopped buying Amazon tomorrow, we would have Jeff Bezos' ear. We would have what? Jeff Bezos' ear. Like um, that would affect change. Right. So the reason he keeps being a billionaire is because we make him a billionaire. Right. Well, at this point, though, that's not true. He has so much money, it would multiply no matter what. That's true. You mean because of the market stuff? Yeah. Yeah. Because of the way that people treat money. Yeah. So I still don't think your problem is with him. I think it's with capitalism. Hmm. Oh. Um, with My problem is not with Elon Musk. It's with capitalism. Or both of them. Sorry. <laughs> Here's a different question. That was like so long coming. Yeah. Um, you think my problem is with capitalism, not with Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk? Yeah. 
Um, that's maybe true. Here's a different question. Because I think maybe my conviction is a Christian one. So you and I have retirement. Sure. Um, which I know you you could you don't pay any attention to. You just <laughs> put your money in. I do, yeah. Um, but we essentially that's make true. money for that the same way. Yeah. Do you, so you think it's okay to use that on a personal scale but not a large scale? Um, I think to me, it's like this, you know, there's something to be said about being honest about the system we're in. Do you know what I mean? Okay. And so that is this system where like people put money in different places and that money multiplies itself or does not multiply itself based on what type of thing it is, is like, that is the reality of where we are right now, financially, economically. Mm -hmm. And so like, um... If, um, and so, yeah, that is the system in which I participate. And it's like, I guess I could make the choice to not participate, like to just not participate in that system at all and hope that at the end of my days, somebody will care for me. But also I am in a reality, which is that I am like a single woman not planning on being married. Um, so well, thanks for answering the questions. Of course. Thanks for asking them. I am curious to see how SNL goes. I guess SNL gave um, people a chance not to participate. What do you mean? The cast members don't have to. Oh, they don't have to participate? Well, but then I think some of them get frustrated because it's like, you remember when Donald Trump was on SNL? Uh-huh. And so they just, I mean, I think a bunch of them were like, well, this is not a thing I enjoy. And so, but it's the same. SNL is, you know participates in a system that is trying to perpetuate itself and make more money all the time. And so people like Elon Musk and Donald Trump are interested. I mean, like people will tune in, you know, like yeah, they will. So, well, I'm more apt to watch this week than I am most weeks. Right. Exactly. Okay. Taylor. Yeah. It was a hard week for me. It was. Yeah. Why? I don't know if you've been paying attention to any of the drama coming out of green Bay, Wisconsin. Oh, I have. Uh, well, just mildly, but I, I always think of you when I see something about that. Yeah, what's happening with Aaron Rodgers? Well, Aaron Rodgers, I think, is a little bit of a prima donna. Okay. I also think I think there's data that backs that up. I think he's the most talented quarterback in the NFL. Okay. And I think the person he's most mad at has done a poor job in their position. Yikes. It is very dangerous, though. And LeBron James does the same thing, though. When a player becomes so powerful, they can kind of put demands on the organization to reshape it. Yeah. Yeah, LeBron James definitely has that power. But then I'm always like, I mean, this is drama. Sure. Um, but actually, and, and I understand why it was a bigger deal, I kind of feel like I felt the same thing about um, performance-enhancing drugs in baseball when that was a big deal. Is it's like, um, you remember when, like, Roger Clemens or we went to court. Right, yeah. I'm like... This is billion dollar industry and these really change people's lives. But I'm like, this is a game. Why is this even a court issue? You know right. what I mean? Yeah. And I kind of feel that way about like this stuff too. I'm like, it feels so petty on some scale. Is someone going to court for this? No, but I'm just saying oh. like any athletic problems to me. Right. Even though I know it's billions of dollars and it's big business. It, it is. all feels, it feels like fake to me. Yeah. You are like, okay, everybody just remember. It's this like is people throwing a ball around. Yeah. Like everybody calm down. <laughs> right. Um, but as a fan, I'm like, well, I think it's, it's unhealthy practice. But I'm like, if I have to choose between a general manager and Aaron Rodgers, 
Fire the general manager. Keep Aaron Rodgers. Lots of lots of really good general managers we can find. Yeah. But anyhow, it sucks. Interesting. Talk, can you give me a little bit about the ins and outs of it? Because I don't super know. Well, Rodgers... So here's one piece of data that I think is very fair for him to be frustrated about. Okay. So Rodgers is 37, I think. Sure. He, like Brady, I think takes really good care of himself. I think he eats very little meat, that kind of stuff. Right. Oh my He's gosh. like maximizing the You are the so science. weird about that, but okay. What do you mean? I just, I think it is so strange that you were so taken with like, it's like their job. Yeah, but the, it's data too. Like Tom Brady. Oh yes. Of course, of course, of course. outperforming people at an age. And like he eats lentil soup and these other things. Like again, the dr- lentil soup. <laughs> lentil well, he soup talked about it. It's normal. <laughs> no, but like he. Okay, whatever. Okay, well, I just think to me it's like um, Drew Brees did not have the same regiment, and he's retired now. Right. Peyton Manning shut down at thirty-nine because he's not the same regiment. Right, but I. I mean, I. I just think I would argue like it is their job. Like if they decide they don't want to do their job anymore. And part of that is, like, because they don't want to – then, like, you know, Peyton Manning, Drew Brees, whatever. It's, like, to them, that's part of their job. And they have personal chefs and yada, yada, yada yeah. and, like, co- I, and coaches. I don't – I think my thing is I'm not sure that most NFL players are taking advantage of all those opportunities. There have been historically. Okay. And so that is impressive to you that they do that. Yeah. But let's not get lost in the weeds. Let's not. So Rodgers – Point being, I think he has a few good years left. Okay. Just had an NFL MVP season. Right. Right, but doesn't have a long time left. Right. And wants to win Super Bowls. So if you're a general manager, you put pieces around him that are high-risk options that could produce to go for it, to win. Right. That will cost you in the long run, right? Like you trade away a draft pick for a really good player now. Right. Because you think you can do it this year. That's sort of the philosophy. Right. In the last 10 years, the Packers have drafted one offensive player in the first round. Every other those nine years, they picked a defensive player. The one offensive player, do you know who it was? No. Jordan Love, a quarterback, who they traded up, and they never trade up. They're always notoriously, um, not notorious, they are painfully conservative in off-season acquisitions and in drafts. They mm-hmm. trade away picks for lower picks because they know the guy that they actually want is going to be there, which right. could be smart, but it's like they don't ever take a risk in like a good player. Okay. So we have not given him any weapons. So he's finally been like, enough is enough. Yeah. And wants to leave. Part of it is, you know, the year he was drafted, Alex Smith was the first-round pick. Mm-hmm. He was drafted by the Niners. Mm-hmm. Rodgers grew up in the Bay Area. He wanted to be a Niner his whole life. Ah. He was like... The steps he fell to the 18th pick. The Packers outplayed Smith his whole career. Uh-huh. He told the Niners, "Come get me." Like he wanted recently. To yeah. Oh, okay. And that um, the Packers, of course, wouldn't trade him. But there's just it's getting ugly. So now he's said he won't play. He's talking about retiring. People have speculated he'll go host Jeopardy. Host Jeopardy. Well, he did it for two weeks, and it That's was so funny. He was really good at it. I love that. Yeah. And he won Jeopardy as a contestant. Also, I think there is something to be said about the whole system. Do you know what I mean? Like, that teams, like, essentially own players' careers and can be, like, such a defi- as a deciding factor in, like, whether or not they ever won a championship and <clears throat> stuff like that. That yeah. is, like... I haven't thought about it very hard for like, you know, I haven't really sat down and thought about it, but something about it seems bad, you know, that like, 
there's not autonomy there in the way that I would like for there to be autonomy. Yeah. Like, I don't know. So that's the drama. That is drama. And it's uh, painfully really bad. Here's the thing, though. If if they trade him or he leaves, I'm just going to divest emotionally for a couple of years because they won't be good. From the Packers? I mean, I'll still be a big fan, but I'm like not going to bring my <clears throat> expectations. I'll just... Right, just watch for fun. Yep, check box scores. Expect us to be 5-11. and 11. That's what I did after 2011. After the championship? championship. Yeah. Um, I mean, Dirk was still there, but like they traded almost everyone. I mean, really, the person for me was Tyson Chandler. When they traded Tyson Chandler away, I was like, this is it. Like, Yeah, we got our championship. We have it, and they really are I sort of rebuilding. But, um, but I, yeah, so it was like I just watched – you know, for fun and hope for the best. And the every season was, I mean, I think probably 2012 was hard, but um, after that it was like, well, I'll just watch some basketball. I like watching basketball, you know? Yeah. You know what this reminds me of also is um, there are a couple of NCAA athletes who are in a lawsuit right now about player image and likeness stuff. Hmm. And that I don't know why, but the two things I hope they win. remind me of each other. Yeah, me too. I hope I think schools, the NCAA is not honest at all that it profits off of yeah young athletes' bodies. Yes, and they are putting their bodies like through hell. Hell. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, here's the next thing for you. Okay. I'm on the Twitters. Sure. And I, one person I follow is Andrew. So bonus Jeffy. Jeffy. Yeah, a winner. He ought to just call in sometime and tell me. We should talk to him sometime. Jeffy Jeffy. He um yeah, he just well actually I don't think I responded on the words. But he was like, Thanks for the shout out on the podcast. Oh, good. So we were talking about it. Well, you know, his picture reminds me of so much. I finally clicked on it and zoomed in. He's got like a twelve year old self and nerd glasses on with the tape in the middle. Uh huh. He looks like um Oliver Gamble so much. Huh. <gasps> Go look at him. Oh my gosh. Again. I've never thought about that, but like I feel like their hair is similar. Yeah. And oh, that's so cutie. Mm-hmm. I love that. Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah, you just thought of that. Yeah, well, I see it all the time, and I was thinking, oh, there's Oliver. So yeah. I finally scrutinized him. Like, is that really Oliver? And it was. It looks like him. Okay, but it's not. Oliver. No, it's not really Oliver, but it's like <laughs> it's it really Andrew. does look like him. It's a good instinct I have. Yeah. Um, Taylor. Yeah. Somebody stole my communion bread after church yesterday. Okay. Maybe it's a listener. Should we say it? Listeners. Yeah, listeners. If you know who stole Josh's communion bread. So here's what happened. <laughs> I brought my communion bread, the whole loaf that I purchased Saturday evening. Uh-huh. I got Asiago cheese from H-E-B, which I love. Ooh, I've I'll, never gotten that. Is it good? I, I toast it up and I put some spreadable cream cheese on there. What a snack. Oh my gosh. Yeah, Sounds delicious. And um, so I'm, I do that. Okay. And I bring the whole loaf. And I get some cran grape juice from the, the Dollar Mart, yeah. ready for the bl- body and blood of Christ. And I break it up. I take two or three pieces, break it up for my family, and get the cup and set by them. Set the rest of the loaf there on that, that intro table there. Intro. And I, I'm, I'm setting down, you know, recording equipment and sh- shutting down church. And, bu- and yeah. I go to get my stuff at the end of the, the day, and my communion bread's gone. It's And true. I think, well, maybe one of my kids, when they were bringing stuff in, recognized that it's our bread. Yeah. Took it home. Nope, it's gone. So somebody took about four dollars worth of bread right to their house and is feasting um, on your some bread. Really good. Do you think bread. they even know to put cream cheese on it? No, but here's my thought: like, 
who thinks, I'll just take this? What a great question. I wonder who thought that. Yeah. I could I could see if it was like, this might be ours for some reason. Somebody thought that. Yeah. But who who would that have been? I don't think. I don't know. Did the Millers eat bread? No, Are they're they gluten-free. Gluten free. I yeah. thought of that. But no. So then it's like, it wasn't me or Jamie. No. I don't know. I would really love to know. What a mystery. Yeah, like at this point, there's no way I can find out because it'll be accusatory. Yeah. But I just am so curious. Who took it? You know? Maybe, but maybe it was a kid. Do you oh, know I'm what I mean? I think it's got to be a kid. Like they, somebody who went to the bathroom and then on the way out was like, look at this bread. Yeah. And then put it under a blanket or, do you know what I mean? Like their yeah. parents didn't see it till they were in the car. What if it was just an adult who's like, the church owes me. I love this bread. <laughs> <laughs> That would be funny, too. All right. Hey, did you know, I didn't know this till this week, last week was the lowest Oscar ratings ever. I believe it. Not ever, but like since we're keeping track of ratings, I guess. Right, yeah. Um, it was like, to give you a sense, Oscar, it was like a chart. Like five years ago, it was 34.2. Then it was down to like 23. This last time, it was 9.8. <gasps> 9.8. Jeez yeah. Louise. So I had a thought. Like, I didn't even pay attention to the Oscars at all because I'm like, theaters aren't open. There were no movies this year. <laughs> there were movies. I know. But, like, this also happens at a time when Oscars are changing. As in, I feel like if we don't have a movie hyped up to us through advertisements and then premiere in the theater and go through the process, uh -huh. we don't think of it as, like, a legit movie. Yeah. But, like, it's going to be, like, a Netflix or yeah. Hulu. Yeah, sometime soon, I think, yeah. That's going to be the way it happens now. Yeah. But this got me on a string of thinking like, okay, so if you won an Oscar this year, is it lessened? Which is the same question we've asked about sports um, championships too. Yeah, but I think no, because the movies that came out in 2020 were made before then. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. That's true. Like people had full access to all of the movies. But I think it's things. not about when you made the movie. It's about did the movie have a real sense of competition? I don't think that at all. Okay. I think it's like, was the movie a good movie? I didn't see any of the movies at all except for Nomadland. Did you like Nomadland? Yeah. I mean, looking back, if that was the best picture of the year, though. Yeah. <laughs> uh, thin supplies. Well, what I do guess. you mean? I just, I was not emotionally moved in any way. By Nomadland? It was like... Interesting is what I would call it. Yeah, I haven't watched it, so I don't. I mean, I'm not a good critique. But wasn't there? Um, there was another movie that um. They put in foreign films that was like people were like, "This is the best movie of the year." I'm trying to remember what it was called. Yeah, I don't know. But it's like people were concerned that if two, like movies for by foreign directors, you know, sort of in. Was it two years ago that Parasite won? So the, the year it wasn't before, this year, but the year before. It was before, before Nomadland won? Yes, right okay. before. It's also interesting, too, because somebody had posted, uh, you know how they do these, you can only pick two, you can only pick three. Right. Oh, yeah. It was like pick three, and it was the best pictures from the last 40 years. Oh, and you could only pick three? Yeah, and I could pick three for sure, but there used to be, it seems like the Academy used to pick movies I would like to win, and now they don't. Oh, really? Yeah. That's so interesting. I don't pay. I, well, you know, living in Waco, especially, it's like 
those movies don't even come to Waco until they are nominated. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And then there's like a couple of weekends where they're in the theaters that you can try to catch them before the awards. So I don't I don't pay super close attention. Do you want to know what my three I picked from the last 40 years were? I do. Okay. I picked Lord of the Rings, okay. The Return of the King, as a representation of all three movies. All three, so I got sure. to pick all three and picking that one. Um, okay, then uh-huh. um, I also picked Braveheart. Okay. And then I also picked Dances with Wolves. Interesting. Um, I, it was between Braveheart and Gladiator. So really, I want to pick four. Okay. But those were. Well, my... really, you want to pick six? Why? What were the ones I missed? Lord of the Rings, all the oh, Lord yeah. of the Rings movies. Yeah, yeah. You know, I've never watched except for well, I've watched all the Lord of the Rings, but I've never seen Braveheart or Dances with Wolves. My mom really likes Dances with Wolves, or my dad. I can't remember. Oh, one it's, one it's of my, my in my top three of all time. Really? Yeah. I'm not good at rankings. Oh, I'm good at ranking. I know you love ranking things. I love ranking. Love judging. <laughs> Okay, last thing on this before we go to quiz and commercial. Okay. Um, this is admittedly fraught. Yeah, okay. So I saw... First of all, did you know Caitlyn Jenner is running for governor in California? No, I did not know that. She is. Well, anyways, she, you know, mm-hmm. um, as a previous version of herself, yeah, won an Olympic medal. Yep. Uh, very good athlete. Well, has said that she thinks... Um, I don't know how to phrase this, but would be for some of the legislation that um, discriminates, separates, I don't know what the word would be, mm-hmm. for people to participate in sports exclusively that um, concur with their birth or birth certificate. Okay. Is that a way to phrase that? Yeah. Which she, is... She has said that. Yeah, recently. Um, so, like as part of her running for governor. I don't know if it was like... But I think it's probably like she's running for governor and you have to give opinions and stuff. And right, so. yeah. Um, which is all kinds of interesting on so many levels. Okay. One, she is transgender. She is, yes. Two, she's an Olympic athlete. Right, yeah, for sure. So here's my question, because I think I know how you feel about this already. Okay. How do you... It's a hermeneutical question. Okay. Not about the Bible, but about oh. this. Sure. How do you arrange uh-huh. privileged voices within intersectionality when the voices are from intersectional people. Like how do you unpack that? Does it make sense? Yeah. I mean everyone has intersections inner like intersections of oppression. Mm-hmm. Um, not everyone, but it's like, you know, even like a lot of people I think will be like, well white men don't have oppression, but it's like, well you could be a poor white man or you could be I mean, sure. you know what I mean? You could have it could be economic oppression, blah, blah, blah. I think everybody has places of intersection. Um, and I think that uh, do you mean like because Caitlyn Jenner is this very rich white celebrity, should she also have like should she also have a say in things like this? Or what is the root of the I question? think because um, I'm assuming you disagree with her. I would disagree with her. Yes. So my question is. But the fact that she is transgender, yeah, and she's also a pretty accomplished athlete, yeah, does she get to have a unique voice in this conversation because of those intersectional identities? Um, I think so. I mean, like, I don't 
like I disagree with her um and but I would always be careful to like listen to a person who has more skin in the game than I do yeah you know um but also like just well another example of this would be um the was it a senator or a speaker from South Carolina who gave a response to the Biden 100 day address? I don't think I've seen this. I think his last name is Scott. He is an African American man. Mm-hmm. Republican. Yeah. And so, I mean, there again, you have an example of somebody who spoke about race who was a, a black man. Yeah. And he disagreed with Joe Biden. I should be careful because I don't know exactly. I've only seen um, clips. So I can't give him full context, but I think he might have said or hinted at that there was not a racist problem in America. Yeah. That maybe... But I'll tell you what, I'd read another article this week. Uh-huh. It was about um, Vice President Harris. Uh-huh. And she has said, she's kind of walked a tightrope with this, as the article said she had to, but essentially said that America's not racist. Interesting. I know. It is interesting. It's an interesting take. I also would disagree with Vice President Harris, um, who is a person of color. And so I, but it's like, I would try to enter that conversation with a lot of humility. Um, and yeah, I mean, (laughs) I guess I'm imagining a conversation where I'm talking to Kamala Harris about (laughs) whether or not America is racist, um, or Caitlyn Jenner about like, you know, sort of, uh, transgender athletic participation, I would enter those conversations with a lot of um, humility. I would hope to sort of listen, even though I would disagree with them about those sort of voiced opinions. Um, but it's like, ah, uh, and especially if it was a topic like, so those are both topics I have thought a lot about. Do you know what I mean? Like I have done research. I have listened to many transgender people and people of color in those, in those like various conversations. And so like I carry those voices with me in my head and in my heart. And so it's like, you know, I would try to hold those things in tension or whatever in those, in these fictional conversations. Um, yeah. I feel like you aren't satisfied with my answer. I'm not dissatisfied. Okay. No, I think it's just, it's fraught. It feels fraught. Yes. Because I have the most, by, by standards, I have the most power and position. Sure. So it's probably most listening needs to be done. Right. I am curious though. And one thing I've said off the record is I would love for us to be able to talk about JK Rowling. Um, Right. And we can't because, well, we can't. I can't. I, I have no interest in doing that right now. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, I think Caitlyn Jenner, though, is a little bit easier because she is transgender herself. Right. Yeah. So, um, and I am curious, and I this is from a genuine place of I haven't resolved, and I don't know how to resolve these things. Um, the, the bathroom thing is stupid to me. Sure. The athletics thing for me is still an interesting conversation. Okay. Um, and not like... 
I don't have this sense of my daughters are gonna be have their athletic opportunities stolen. Or I just think you know, as um, the the one name we've talked about in the past that really makes this discussion interesting is that um, Castor Semenya from uh, uh-huh. I can't remember which country is it South Africa. I can't. She remember. has hyperandrogenism, but was born genetically female. Um, uh-huh. and has elevated levels of testosterone, not of anything she's done. Right. And it makes her more competitive, allegedly. Right. Allegedly, so, right. So I just think, you know, uh, what is fair, you know? Yeah. Well, and I, I mean, we've talked about this before, and I feel like you always think it's insane, but I did. I've just been thinking a lot and reading a lot about, like, and I, then I saw a TikTok t- that just was, like, pretty expressive of what I was thinking. And it was, like, a woman saying, like, men think that women are weaker than them. But part of that is because we have spent all our, our whole lives exercising to be aesthetically pleasing for you. And not exercising to be the strongest or fastest person that we can be. And so, I think especially in athletics, I mean, like, there are even women's athletics programs that it's, like, they're working out all the time, but they are bearing in mind, like, what will... Like, it's, like, women's train athletic training um, a lot of the time. I don't want to say all the time. Even that is, like, based on sort of maintaining an aesthetically pleasing experience. But it's, like, well, first of all, being the fastest or strongest person on the court obviously is a large court or field or whatever sport it is or track is a large advantage. I mean, with track, it really mostly is like, how fast are you? Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But for basketball or football or any game where you're or soccer, or any game where you're using um, mental capacity in any way, like um, there are other things. There are mental things that would make you a better basketball player. And also at this point, we're talking about like Steph Curry is like what? 6'3 something? Mm-hmm. I mean like 200 pounds, 250 pounds? I don't know. And it's like there are women that are that size. Do you know what I mean? Like, and so at some point, I think about like gendered sports in general. And it's like if men and women were really training in the same facilities with the same amount of like finances backing them and the same coaches, like if we did that for 30 years, then what would the athletic fields look like? You know what I mean? Because obviously if you did it, if you did like, okay, starting next year, then it's like, that's not really, um, women have been training in facilities with but less money behind them. You know what I mean? Like, but like if you did it for a long period of time and then, and then made an assessment of like, is there really a marked difference between men and women in athletic ability? Like, I think that would be really interesting to see. I feel like men have a really hard time with this. Um, well, let me... I'm trying to honor the thought. Okay. I think I just conceive of it so differently. Okay. So I do think you're right in that if you, we did what you said, for thir- in 30 years we would see a difference. Mm-hmm. I think it would still be a qualitatively different difference, though. Mm. So um, if I can use an analogy uh, from evolution. Uh-huh. Um, like we know the uh, I can't remember I think it's called ad- adaptation or something. Like yeah. it, the, a fish will only grow to the size of the tank it's in. Yeah. Okay. So in the metaphor, yeah, I think if we poured money and stuff, women would develop. Same. Here's like a pretty concrete. Like great soccer players don't often come out of the U.S. 
because we don't value the sport. Right. So it's not a kid's sport that doesn't evolve in, like, right? We don't fish that out culturally. Mm-hmm. So I think there's something to what you're saying. I just think um, what in what you might find is that, like, we could develop some women, this is my judgment, admitting it, right. that are, like, really great and probably could play um, pretty competitively with some men. But I think on average, the very best man in an athlete would still be better than the very best woman and they would be scalable. Sure, yeah. <laughs> Seems true. I mean, I feel like there's 2,000 years of athletic You data. think men are better than women? <laughs> no. I know. I know. I know. That was a joke. That was a okay. joke, Josh. <laughs> no, women are better than men at things, yeah. too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I do think that I think we just disagree. <laughs> I'm sorry. That we really a, that really a, flushed her Josh when I said that. And that need, was totally a joke. We need to um, have a whole show on this sometime. Like get a geneticist, get a all that sports scientist. That would be so much fun. I would love that. That would okay. be so fun. All right. That was my last thing. I have a quiz for you today. <laughs> okay, great. This is in the vein of um of your like vampire quiz you gave me. <laughs> I can't stop laughing. Yeah, okay. Where it's not like your knowledge, it's a who would you be. Okay. So this is, we're in finals week. Oh, who would you be? Okay, well, great. Well, not that exciting. Okay. So here's a question for you. This is, can be a discussion piece before. Okay. Whenever I play the game, what's one thing you could change about your life? Uh-huh. My answer is always the college I went to. Oh. I would have applied and worked hard to get into the University of Wisconsin instead of my small little, little arts private school. Right. Um, so um, this is a quiz to see which college you should go to oh my gosh okay great did you um and if i didn't take it maybe like three questions and really lame okay. and obvious but um did you would you go back to watch it oh what a great question probably not okay but not because like it wasn't bad it wasn't bad Same how i feel i just feel like for the money i could have got a better investment yeah for sure and also it's like i could have i had a really good sat score like um and then i was whatever in which the, school would you go to if you could do it over what a great question. I don't know. I do remember my cousins had gone to private high schools, uh-huh. and I don't think their grades or anything were better than mine, but like, or their, I mean, I know their SAT scores were better than mine, but like, they, um, because they were going to like a private high school with like a dedicated like college counselor, like the counselor like helped them like apply for like Harvard and things like that. And it's like, I would have, I just kind of would have liked to apply. I know for What'd sure. What'd you get on the SAT? Do you remember? Um, it was when it was sixteen hundred out of sixteen hundred, uh-huh. and I got like a. I think I got a fourteen ten. Whoa. Um. Actually, I don't even know what that means. I took the ACT. Uh, yeah, everyone uh, at Washtenaw took the ACT as well. And that was I, horrible. Really. Bad, bad. That is so surprising to me. You're so smart. Uh no, every I'm the kind of smart that like learns it and hides the weaknesses. Mm. And a terrible test taker. I'm a really good test taker horrible because i just like um i think i'm really good at like deducing things do you know what i mean like mm-hmm. it's like i know it's not this it's not this so it must be this or whatever yeah. so i'm not that oh okay i'm a bad test i got a 21 out of 36 is the highest score oh yeah and then i retook it and got a 23 to give you wow. an idea roy took it as a seventh grader last year <laughs> and got a 20 the like duke whatever it's the called. act yeah. yeah so he was um, a point behind me after seventh grade he got a 20 20- so uh, okay, well, it's pretty embarrassing. Lindsay got a twenty-eight, and she had a hundred and three fever. That's not for oh, what is happening. 
you know what though i think one of the things about being a teacher for me really was like everybody learns different like we shouldn't have tests like yeah, that well they don't I, really do I anything i kind of kicked everybody's ass in seminary because i had finally found my thing right yeah but it was took me that long to find my thing you cussed i did okay we're gonna start the quiz okay great taylor yeah. which type of school are you most interested in big state school smaller public school some small liberal arts college ivy league caliber not sure for any up for anything online good school easy to get into I would still say not sure up for anything. Okay. Next question. Where do you want to go to school? <laughs> or choose a region. New England, Mid-Atlantic, oh. Midwest, Southeast. <laughs> Where do you want to go to school? Quiz over. <laughs> Northwest, Mountain West, South Central. How interesting. I do think it's like I would be very interested in the Northeast. New England? Uh, Yes. Or what is Mid-Atlantic? I think that's like Duke and that's like... ACC. Okay, you can't click both of those. Just Let's click North Atlantic or the New England, I okay. guess. Next question. What do you want to study? You can pick anything now. Why? Because like it's a pop-down menu with every subject you could imagine. Oh my gosh. Oh, I can pick anything. Yeah. But I need you to pick something. Right. Um. I think maybe just like is it? Can you click like humanities or something? Yes, okay, we can. Great. Right. Next question. Um, what was your SAT, ACT score range? Okay, great. So it is out of 1,600, so you get the highest one, 14 to 16. Ooh, wow. All right. Finish. Calculating your colleges. Is it going to give me a bunch? Oh, you got to be kidding me. What? I've got to like now put out information. <laughs> oh, no. It's like asking you for <laughs> your credit card or something. No, but it's like password, um, yeah, email, password, birthday. Boo! Oh, no. You know what? The answer was Harvard. It came back Harvard. Harvard. Yeah, I should have gone to Harvard. Yep. I also think about that. Like, I went to seminary really fast. Like, I was supposed to teach the next year. And mm -hmm. then, like, over the course of a summer, I decided to go to seminary. And I also think of, like, if I had thought more about it, what, where would I have gone? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. As opposed to just like... Taylor, we're going to together do a different quiz. Okay, great. Because that was pitiful. Okay. All right, this is the Oscar Best Pictures quiz. Yeah. And it's just, it has the years and you have to try and list them. So we have 2001. We know that was Nomadland. 2001? Oh, good. We can just start entering them. Okay. What was last year, 2020, we said was... Um, Parasite. What, wasn't La La Land one? No. Remember, they didn't win. Oh, yeah. Spotlight. No, um, Moonlight. Moonshine? <laughs> no, you're right. It was two years ago. It was lights. Spotlight, Moonlight. That was 16. What one in 18? Uh, wait, okay. Spotlight, Moonlight was 16, 17? Yeah. And then 18 is what we're trying to figure out. Yeah, 19 and 18. My gosh, what a great question. I... This is one of the things that the pandemic has stolen from me. Do you know what I mean? Like, Memory? Yeah. Yeah. What was that one with the fish one that Guillermo del Toro directed? Mother? Mama? No, it was about a lady in water, was it? Oh my gosh. Yes. What was uh, that called, though? I think that was the best picture one year. It, yeah. The woman in the water? Yeah. Something like that. Well, that was probably 18 or 19. 
Um, Dances with Wolves we talked about. That was 2001. Uh-huh. We got Lord of the Rings, Gladiator, and what was the other one I said? Braveheart. Braveheart. That was Heart. Hank. Oh, what was Shakespeare in Love was um, 98. Yeah, either I was going to say 99, but you probably know better. Shakespeare in Love. Um, we were doing good. 2000. Didn't Beautiful Mind win? Yeah. See, I used to watch Beautiful Mind. We're going to do so good. Um, on Golden Pond won the year I was born. 81. It did? Yeah, 81. Why is that? Is Golden Pond one word? No, I don't think so. Why did that not work? Is it wrong, I guess? It's like you type it in and as soon as you spell it right, it enters it, you know? Yeah. That's um, BS. That's not entering. Okay, what about 2015? Mm. Or 2018? I can't remember. Did you ever see Spotlight, though? Yeah. It was, like, devastating. That's the one about the Catholic... Yeah. Priests? In Boston? Yeah, I did see that. Um, I wish Get Out had won. Hmm. Uh, also devastating. Okay. What was the one that won one year? It was like foreign film that was in black and white dancing. Uh, black and white. I didn't see it at all. I'd probably never see it. When was it? Uh, it was within the last decade. I don't know. Dancing did, at Luna. Did Chicago show. win one year? The film? Oh, yeah. The one between Beautiful Mind and Gladiator. It would have been. Yeah. I think Chicago came out in 2003 or four. Yep. Three. 2005. Do you know that one? Six, seven. I should. That's the year I graduated high school. But. Oh, you know what? The other one that won? What? I just remember Green Book because that was a controversy. Oh, that's right. That's right. And then 2000. That was 2019, maybe? Yeah. 2018 was the Lady in Water one. Yeah, the lady in the water. No, that's a different movie. Why can't we? It's not lady in the water. The mermaid in the water. I'm, <laughs> I'm googling on Golden Pond to get the. Yeah, that is I, the right spelling. No, I have it right. Why want to take my answer? I'm gonna go find a list. Okay, then you can kind of help me prompt with quiz answers. Yes. Because listeners are probably really bored right now. I think they probably love this. Let us know. <laughs> Best picture winners. Lady in the Water. That's the name of it. Why well, want to take these answers? It is? Oh, Lady in the Water. Um, Best picture. Nope, it's not taking it. This quiz sucks. <laughs> this quiz sucks. 2000. What one in 2000? Gladiator was 2001. 99 was Shakespeare in Love. Hold on. Did Atonement win one year? I'm getting there. (sighs) Did Atonement win? Tiny, tiny Saoirse Ronan? No. Okay, here we go. 2018. 2020 slash 21, Nomadland. 2019, Parasite. That's what we said. 2018, Green Book. That's what we said. Oh, should I just tell you the name of this Lady Water movie? Yeah. The Shape of Water. Shape of Water. And then you have 20... Yeah, I need 2015. Give me a hint. Um, 2017. Hold on. 2016 you have Moonlight. Yep. 2015... Spotlight. Yeah. 2014, I guess. 2014. Give me a hint. Uh, I did not see this movie. Okay. 
and I don't know any of these people who seem to be involved. The other things nominated were American Sniper, Boyhood, The Grand Budapest Hotel, mm-hmm. The Imitation Game. Yeah, but none of this helps me. Okay, sorry. The movie itself? Yes. I think it had Adrian Brody in it. Okay. No, I'm very wrong. Okay. Um, it's The name is... Uh, it's like a person... Who, I, I never saw this movie, so I don't Is know. it in black and white? Maybe. What's it called? Birdman. Oh, no, I saw that. It's um, um the guy from Batman. Ben Affleck? No, the original Batman. The 90s one. Oh. I can't say. I don't know his name. He, ho- he hosts the Mr. Rogers PBS special. Oh, um, I can see his face. Yeah, Jacob Robinson loves Birdman. Yeah, feels okay like a movie that like people who like film and stuff would let's, really um, be into. Let's just run out the decade because people are getting bored. 14, 13, 12, and 11. 14, 13. So that was, that was 14. Yep. 13. Yep. Uh, had Brad, it had Brad Pitt. Okay. Um, it was the best picture. Yep. The other it won't it doesn't help you to remember the other things nominated. It wasn't Ben Button. No, it wasn't Ben Button. Best picture of Brad Pitt. He didn't win though. No, and in fact, it looks like this might be producers or directors or something like yeah. that. Oh, Twelve Years a Slave. Yes, you're correct. That's a good movie. Yeah. Okay, twelve. Two thousand twelve. Oh, um, yeah, Ben Affleck, George Clooney. Oh, this is uh, uh, Arvo, Argo? Argo, yeah. Yeah. Okay, 11 or 11. 2011. I never saw this movie. Okay. It's about a, a it's a person who does things. <laughs> oh, narrow it right down. <laughs> Creatively. Creatively does things? Uh-huh. The name of it is like a job title artist yes that's the one that's in black and white i sang oh, okay that i ever saw and i yeah i never saw that and i saw Moneyball. i guess okay 11 oh your your favorite was nominated that year what the tree of life yeah yeah robbed okay. oh my gosh the artist beat tree of life yes what a waste of the universe um <laughs> waste of the universe okay 2010 is um Oh, what's his name? He's such a cutie. He's in uh, Love Actually, and he's in, and then it was Helena Bonham Carter, and he's in the Mamma Mia movies, and he is so cute and sweet Tom and Firth? British. Maybe, yeah. Colin Firth? No, I think that person is younger, but maybe it is Colin Firth. Okay. Um, he's the one who proposes to Aurelia at the end. In yeah, Love yeah, Actually. yeah. That's his, his last name? Yeah. yeah. And he won the best picture in this? Um, yeah, he was in the... Him and Helena Bottom Carter were um, both in this movie. They're married. She helps him to... Oh, King's Speech. Yeah. That's right. Okay, well, thanks for playing, everybody. Best pictures. We're sorry it took a while. Yeah. Quiz, boo. Slumdog Millionaire won in 2008. That feels so late. I thought it was earlier than that. Oh, yeah. You know what else was on there? I bet it was uh, Crash. Everybody's so mad when <gasps> won that year. 
Everybody was mad? Yeah. I remember when I saw Crash in like 2005 or whatever, I was 18, so I was like, this is the most profound movie. That's how I felt too. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And it lost to Brokeback Mountain, which is why people really got upset. That it lost? Yeah. Or that, okay. Because uh, Ang Lee won Best Director that year. Okay. But Okay. Well, thanks everybody. Yeah. Well, we now got to go to a commercial. Commercial. Taylor. Yeah. Well, I'm very excited about our sponsor today. Can I tell you why? Yeah, of course. Regular listeners will know that we very often um, cited or get help from sponsored by local Waco businesses. Yeah. And we love that partnership because we love Waco and we're trying to promote Waco. But this yeah. week, yeah. boy, did we land a whale. Wow. We have a major account. Great news. And it's a Texas-wide, should-be global company. Yeah. I sometimes like when things are just in Texas, though. H E. B. They're our sponsor? Yeah, H-E-B is our sponsor this week. Wow. So here's what I want to say about H-E-B, because everybody knows how great H-E-B is. It's the best. Um, and you know what about is about it, though, is like you try to explain to people why it's the best, and it's a little bit intangible, but it's a, also you can be like, well, they have, you can grind your peanut butter. They're like in-store brands are so yeah. good. Don't I'll tell you why H-E-B is the best. Okay, tell us. Because they prepared for the pandemic and the snow apocalypse better than anybody else in the in country. The world. Yes. Like yeah. H-E-B is more prepared than our government yes. for the pandemic. H-E-B also was doing the vaccine clinic down in the uh, thing in here in Waco. H-E-B. H-E-B. I told the lady, I'm like, you guys need to run the, the world. Yeah. Like, you know, some people say Chick-fil-A. Yeah. Those it two. should really be H-E-B though. Yeah. H-E-B. They can work together, but it should be yeah. really. So um, for the best groceries, the best quality products, yeah. some of which grown right here in relationships with H-E-B in Texas. Crazy. Shop H-E-B. Amazing. Which location is your favorite to go to? We shop mostly at Wooded Acres. Wooded Acres is my staple too. But lately I'm so annoyed with it. Do you remember the old one at the end of Dutton? Were you around for that at all? Yes, that's the school now? Yeah. Yes, but I don't think I ever went to it because I was living it close, yeah. like maybe my first year in Waco. So I was living over by campus, and, and then that, what about that um, the one over in Twelfth Street? That's now an apartment complex over by Baylor. Did you ever go to that one? I was that close already. Yes, no. So that's the one I went to. I think. Yeah, I don't know. I guess they probably closed around the same time. Yeah, they closed at the same time to open the, the big one on thirty five. Thirty five. Yeah. Uh, you know where, where I was, which one I was in the other day, though? 19th Street. No, the, oh, no. I like the 19th Street one, though. It it's feels so mo- small. Yeah, it's the coziest. Yeah. Um, no, I was in the opposite. I was in the Bellmead one, which is, like, humongous. It yeah, feels like the Sam's almost or something It is like on par with the 35 one. Yeah. It felt bigger to me, though. And um, the Woodway one's big, too. Is it? Yeah. I've been to that one, but now I can't remember why. But I'm a Wooded Acres guy. Me too. It's, Me too. It's my home. Yeah. So you heard all those locations yeah. for the best quality products at a great, great price and just a really good relationship with humanity. Yeah. We suggest you shop at H-E-B. We do. Go there. And we're back. We're back. Taylor, guess what I finished reading this week? What? The Universal Christ. The Universal Christ. And boy, did it deliver. Oh, good. So I wanted to talk about a few things that I gave you a heads up on. You did. And um, the, the last chapter was really about epistemology and metaphysics, which are his words. Okay. And he has this great line where he says, when he's explaining what metaphysics and epistemology are, which listener, it's um, epistemology is how we know what we know. Metaphysics is kind of the nature of things. Mm-hmm. He says, metaphysics is, epistemology is our understanding of that. Um. And metaphysics so, is 
like, and epistemology is yeah. So metaphysics has a kind of, to use another kind of ontology to it, uh-huh, right? Uh-huh. The the like before we understood what atoms were, the universe was made up of atoms, right? Right. Uh, someday we'll discover whether or not string theory is true, right. and there's a more basic building block, right? This is always the way to. So it right. is what it is. Yeah. But our understanding of that evolves. And yeah. That's epistemology. So. Um, Very interesting. He was able to say something, not just saliently, but I think um, help me finally. Succinctly, maybe. Yeah. Or? In my narrow three experience taking in the world, help me. He found a hook where it really landed. Okay. So he also wrote The Naked Now, which is all yeah. about overcoming dualist think- thinking in the Western mindset, okay. which is black, white, right, wrong, good, evil. Right. And it's, it's staggering, not just how inundated we are with this as Westerners. I mean, it's he and he says this, the, the dualistic mindset is very helpful for survival. Like we evolved to have this brain. Sure. Um, Probably some of the like rugged individualism stuff yeah. in America, particularly. And get ahead so. and fight or flight, all that stuff. Yeah. All that's like, I mean, it's if you think about computing, right? It's, it's down in its most basic form is on off switches on bytes of data. Right. That's kind of how our brains work too. Right. Right. We everything is is binary, so um, he is talking about overcoming this, and okay. this is like a path to um, fulfillment and transformation. Okay. Is to overcome the dualistic mind. And he says the two most uh, often are the, the ways that God does this in our lives is through suffering and love. Mm. Which is not unlike his comment where he says, you're either transformed through pain or prayer, and most people are dumb, too dumb to pray. <laughs> um, this is, I, yeah, I love Richard Rohr because of that, things like that. Okay. Um, so anyway, I thought there was a butt coming. No, no. So I was thinking, and then he gives um, two, and this was the hooks that got me, because uh-huh. I've had these experiences. Okay. He said, he talked about like when you're first in love, what uh-huh. we might call a f- infatuation. Sure. And then he also talks about um, when you're in grief, mm. when you've lost. Yeah. And how different your perspective in those moments is. So like when you're in love with somebody, like the things that would bother you don't bother you. Right. It just is all part of this lovable way we see this person. Yeah. And they can't possibly repel us. Like, yeah. This, we, our interpretive lens is gone. Everything they do is, like, wonderful. And also, when you're in grief, like, the world feels so much more tender. Yeah. And he has this comment that really struck me. He says, like, all of a sudden, like, the smile of a clerk at a checkout counter means so much more. It's very meaningful. Because it sure, feels sure, like sure. a grace. And so he said, like, those mindsets are when we're not living in the dualistic mind. Mm-hmm. And I've been in both of those places, and they're very scary and hard. Yeah. Because you are more fragile. Feels very vulnerable. But life is, I think, rich in a way that it's not when you're living out of the dualistic mind. Yes. So I think it's helpful for me because when somebody tries to teach me something, I suppose it's like I almost kinesthetically need to wear it before I can understand it. Uh-huh. And so it was the the pages really came alive when he gave those two examples. So I'm like, oh, I have been there. And yes, that would be wonderful if I could get there through meditation so that I did live out of those places. Right. I think it would change my life. Yeah, probably. Um, okay. So that that's what I was excited to share. Yeah. And what do you and does that make you want to do that or yeah, you know, it's interesting. I, It's not often that a book will change how I live. Right. 
Roar does it consistently. I isn't that? I mean, what a gift! Do you know what I mean? To be able to write something. So I find myself praying more. Yeah. I find myself noticing things more, mm-hmm. and some of it too is like some of the dots. My therapist, we're trying to connect or connecting for me now. Oh, really? About practices she was giving me and why I was doing things. Uh-huh. Very simple things about being present mm-hmm. and noticing and how you really can transform your mind. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it just was very powerful. And like I said, I had, I've come out of a rough couple of weeks. Right. And I'm going to be 40 this summer. Right. And I'm so, like, I'm getting down to the thing where my only goal is just to live meaningfully. So mean that you're taking that from Tove. What, being the only 40-year-old on staff? <laughs> yes. Yeah. I told you that one time. I just, I, when you told me, like, when you told me that earlier this year, I was like, I feel like that's Tove's thing. <laughs> being old? Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, the only thing you want to do is live a meaningful life. Yeah, I mean, not the only thing, but like, I like I can't control the things that I think I want to control to make me happy. Uh-huh. So I might as well start working on the things that actually can. Yeah. And so this just seemed very um, hopeful for me. Yeah. I have been thinking a lot also about, I mean, you know, my life. And about my job and about, I mean, I think I was, um, I, I've known I wanted to be a pastor for a very long time. I was honest, uh, when I came here and that like, I didn't think I would like, it's not the ultimate goal to be a children's pastor forever or whatever, but I do love the job so much and I find so much meaning in it. And I do believe so deeply in like the formation of children and and teenagers also of young people I guess I suppose and so um and lately I've been presented with a couple different opportunities well mostly I have this friend who really wants to hire me for to work at her company Mm -hmm. I've never worked at a company um and it's um you know my experiences so far like it just is moving so fast and it's so interesting because I feel like church work and like anytime you're working with people um, or anytime you're thinking about like, like, you know, in my, we've talked about this a million times, but it's like, I'm trying to think of like, how can we make a better society that is not like full of racism and homophobia and misogyny? And it's like the reality I have come to is that like that might not happen in my lifetime. Like that right. is slow 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 work you know Mm -hmm. and i believe deeply in it and also that it must be slow do you know what i mean that it just doesn't happen quickly you know that when people try to change things like overnight it doesn't take or it doesn't go well or whatever and we talked about that we talked about like you know smoking as like a thing that was has been like sort of legislated into being a change and even that took decades, you know? Yeah. Um, and and so it's tempting, I think, to be like, well, I want to do something big that everyone will know about. Um, and I, I think there's people who it's like, that is their life work. Do you know what I mean? It just is what it is. I mean, celebrities and blah, blah, blah. But it's like, for me, I think the things I'm passionate about are like, they necessarily are slow small things you know or like 
my work here, like uh, forming our kids, I hope they remember the things they learn while they're mm. here. But like, I don't know necessarily that they will be like, it was Miss Taylor that taught me that thing. Do you know what I mean? And in fact, I'm not often in the classrooms. So like, likely they will say, you know, like, well, it was Miss Betsy that taught me that or it was someone else. You know what I mean? And it's like, I've had to really make a choice at this point to say like, and the things I want to do in the world are more important than like me, like people knowing that I did them. Do you know what I mean? And I think that's hard. It's probably especially hard for threes. Um, But also for me, it's like that, those are the decisions I've made about what work is meaningful and what is the most meaningful like way to put things into the world. You know what I mean? I feel like it's great that you got there as early as you have in your life. (laughs) Because I feel like I'm struggling to get there now, and I'm gonna probably because I'll be forty. Sure. But it's not, it's similar in that I've had to reconcile with there's things I wanted for my life mm-hmm. that probably aren't gonna happen. Right. And to make peace with that has required way more emotional energy than I ever thought I would need. Right. Um, and it's easy to get discouraged in that moment, but you can't. Mm-hmm. And so I have been turning towards and looking towards these voices that I think are offering me a kind of wholeheartedness from where I am. Right. That I'm very interested in at this point in my life. Right. And not necessarily um, have arrived at either. Right. Uh, another interesting thing he talked about in the chapter, and I don't even know the name of the chapter, it's the, basically the last kind of analytical chapter, but is that he talked about, he, he's very sympathetic with the Buddhist tradition, mm-hmm. um, so much so that he he kind of makes it a... a um, not just a conversation partner, but almost a handmaiden of Christianity. Mm. And this is one thing he said that was very helpful. I suppose this is more true of Western Christianity. He said, Christianity has been great at doing, and Buddhism has been great at being. Yeah. And um, the two then are also acute, um, problematic the other way. So Christianity is not great at being. Yeah. And Buddhism is not great at doing. Which that was also interesting for me to think about too. Yeah. That is really interesting. And then also, I mean, because you think of like, as far as world religion goes, it's my world religions go. It is my understanding that Buddhism is like one of the smaller, like, I think we all, uh, people think of it as like a major religion, major religion, but that it is actually, I could be wrong on this, but that it is actually small, a smaller than like, um, well, it's smaller than the big three Western religions. Islam. Well, that maybe not true about Judaism. I don't know. Islam, Christianity, Judaism. Is that what you're going to say? Yeah, but Judaism. Well, that's not... really just those are the Abrahamic religions. Yeah. Yeah. Um. And because it does not have a mandate, like a like American Christianity has at this point, especially mm-hmm. evangelicalism, to like share with people. And it's it is very interesting. I said. Um, Buddhism is 6.62%. Okay. Which is fifth on the list behind Hinduism, unaffiliated, Islam, and Christianity. So definitely not Judaism. Judaism is not even... Hinduism, unaffiliated, Islam, and Christianity? Yeah. Um, and how big is Hinduism? Hinduism is 15.16%. Right. So quite a bit yes, after not even, that. Not, not even half of Hinduism. Right. Um, and it is interesting. I said 
to, you know, Philip and the Ethiopian yesterday, which is definitely a text that, like, people have, um, evangelicals have taken to be like, we should all be missionaries and yeah. go across the world. And the prayer I prayed it was fine. I felt comfortable with it. But the last line was like, that we can go and tell all the world. Hmm. And I said to Brie and Kathleen afterwards, like, I think if I'd thought about it for 30 seconds longer, I would have changed it too. Which is like, I'm pulling them from our curriculum and editing them, you know? I would have changed it too, that we could share your word with all who ask, you yeah. know? Um, all who seek. All who seek, yeah, something like that, yeah. And... Yeah, that is a tricky one, kind of evangelism in a post-colonial world. Uh-huh, right, exactly. And... Which is not to say, I think missions is a tricky thing to think through and not a thing that I have spent enough time thinking through despite the fact that like I took whole classes on it in college that I have a firm stance but you know like I do think to me it is mostly I do think (laughs) I feel like in youth group for some reason always women I don't know why were coming in and telling stories about how like people were like you're just so happy all the time like are you on a special diet or something and they would just be like no i'm just a christian and they were just always talking about how they're like how they were so happy and that was the thing that people would like seek out in them or whatever which is like you know maybe that's true maybe maybe that is what is some people's experience in the world but it is like I do think if we are, um, you know, I think I'm processing this right now, but it's like we are, I don't think there's anything wrong with like sharing my religious experience with someone. Do you know what I mean? Like if someone's like, it's, you just seem like you have a deep understanding or blah, blah, blah. Where does that come from? I don't like, I don't feel bad saying like, well, I think some of that comes from my religious conviction and my experience with. Uh, Christianity and Jesus and God and blah, blah, blah. So what do you do with the text Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch? Well, to me, it's like that is... Philip Philip is walking, the Ethiopian eunuch pulls over and is reading scripture. He's sought by the eunuch. And then they have... Yeah. Yeah. And then they have a conversation. Well, that was... um, I think it might actually be Buddhism in her book, um, Holy Envy. Mm-hmm. But Barbara Brown Taylor talks about the fragrance of the rose. Yeah. Is this idea that um, there it's not an act of, I'm going to get you. It's a, it's appealing and you come seek. Yeah. And um, yeah, that's a, that's definitely something we have to think. Of. That's why that quote that I don't know that it's actually said by him, but by a CC so popular, preach the gospel wherever you go and if necessary use words. CC? A CC. A CC. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Right. Yes. Right. Um, yeah. There's also a, I think a C.S. Lewis quote about like shoes and like a Christian cobbler, but it's like, it's probably not a C.S. Lewis quote, but about how like a Christian cobbler doesn't, it shouldn't be that people know you're a Christian because you put a cross on all of your shoes, but because you make the best shoes that you can. Oh yeah. I like that. Yeah. Shine bright. Let right. them figure it out afterwards. Right. Um, well, here's another thing about the chapter that I wanted to ask you okay. about. Yeah, I didn't expect to get into missions, but here we are. Well, there we are. Um, he does, I love 
comparisons and analogies what are your pairings yeah so um listeners we talk often about the enneagram there are triads within the enneagram which are heart soul or no heart mind gut yeah um and the gut is the eight nine one heart Mm -hmm. is two three four of which taylor and i are both and then mind is five six seven so um drawing on this he has actually says heart soul mind he has the trichotomous um way of human knowing which he uses experience tradition and bible as opposed to the wesleyan quadrilateral which would also include reason i think he collapses that into tradition like the tradition is reason for us okay but anyways so obviously he draws some one-to-ones he says experience is the heart Hmm. yeah sure he says that um the bible is for the mind Hmm. and then he says that the tradition is for the soul Okay. In some sense, that makes sense because of the way people talk about gut. But yeah. help me with this. How do you differentiate between the really instinctual, um, intangible work of the gut triad that they can do uh-huh. and the intuition of the heart? I've wanted to ask Suzanne that question. Okay. Because uh, I feel like I also, as a heart triad person, have a way of knowing that isn't what the gut has. Well, but, you know, threes are, they repress that feeling thing as well. So... But not for the crowd, which is where I feel it. Like I, the one, the the gut triad can walk into a room and be like, something's wrong. I can't do that. Um, but there's people things I think I can figure out really quickly through conversation and relationship. Something's wrong. Haven't you ever talked to like a one, like a gut person? I well, I've talked to like a nine, and it's like they can feel tension immediately. Yeah. But it's just tension because they hate it. Okay. It's not like... Like, here's a story. One time C-Mac was talking to me about a baby that was an eight. I think okay. it might have been Suzanne's kid. Okay. And, um, like, to demonstrate this, it's like, the kid would, like, throw up on people, spit up. Uh-huh. And it would turn out years later, like, that was a person that they had a broken relationship, like, something didn't work. Like, oh. to demonstrate the intuitive nature of the gut triad people. Uh huh. Well, but I feel like they do that one on one more than sure with the crowd. Yeah. So is that the difference between the heart and the gut intuition? Um, I think what I would say is like for me, the gut is about yourself. Okay. And the experience is about other people. Okay. Is what I would have to take a guess at. Like it's like my experience really forms how I walk through the world. And it's mostly because my experience with other people offers me a window into like, well, this person experiences the world so differently than I do. Whereas like a gut is a deep self-knowing. Okay. If that makes any sense. Yeah. Um, so back to the comparisons. Okay. Why do you think the tradition would pair with the soul or gut? Hmm. Or do you think the analogy this is fails? very funny that you're asking me these questions when you are the person who has read the book? Um, yeah, but you know a lot about Enneagram. I, yeah, I try to. Um, tradition and gut. Um, if I had to make a guess, I mean, you know me. Uh, well, it's interesting for you, Blake. I mean, interesting to ask you, but like uh, tradition, I don't know that it does much for me. 
because like I was talking about experience and other people is like so formative for me. And I, we talked some about that tweet that Brie retweeted a few weeks ago that said something like, just because you call it orthodoxy doesn't mean it's oppression. Do you know doesn't what I mean? mean? It's not oppression. Yeah, it doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't mean it's not oppression. Yeah. And I do think for me, and I don't know if this is a, a you know, heart emotion thing, mm-hmm. but it's like if something is oppressing someone, even if it's like, well, that's like I do think there are people who I know, who they're like hermeneutic and they're like understanding of scripture is like, you probably these pro these texts probably don't have to be. Um, like they don't necessarily include LGBTQ exclusion. Like there are sort of, you could interpret it both ways, but they would say like, but the tradition says hmm. that we should exclude um, homosexual behavior. And then, so then they would say like, and so that's why. And to me, it's like, I cannot imagine feeling that way. Like that, well, the tradition says for, for hundreds of years, we have excluded this group of people based on da, 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 da. And so even though I'm not sure scripture says that, I think we should still keep excluding and oppressing those people. Yeah. Um, well, I will say I was excited to see that we are the experience and the analogy because uh-huh. experience, he says, is the front wheel. Front wheel. <laughs> Woohoo! Pew, pew, pew. Well, anyway, it's, those were my concluding um, things from the end of the book, which I loved. Yeah. Also, so. I think that's interesting that experience is the front wheel because I feel like we've talked about this, mm-hmm. but that it is like, yeah, that's true for everyone that experience, like really the thing that like forms our understanding of things is experience. Yeah. And I think it makes sense that it's like, and for me, I'm like desperately honest about that all the time, but right. there are other people who are like, no, it's these other things. And I'm yeah. like, yeah, I bet I bet those things are important to you. But really, ultimately, the thing that re- we really... I mean, you know, we've all got canons within canons and blah, 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 blah. Yeah. So. Well, Taylor, that's all I have for this week. I'm glad you liked the book, bud. Thank you. I'd recommend what it. What are you reading next? Well, I'm reading Mary Oliver Poetry. Okay. But that's a different kind of read. That's a... I saw you uh, post about poetry. Yeah, I can pick that up and set it down like at any time. Right. I don't know what I'm going to commit to next. Did you get any good answers about the... Yeah. What did people say? Um, read out loud. Um, I'll just go back and look. That was the main one. But also read how you want. Yeah. I think also it's like... Um, it just feels like a... Sometimes it feels like an aesthetic choice that's supposed to mean something. A lot of poetry is like you get to kind of make your own call. Do you know what I mean? Jamie, I think, maybe said um, like a lot of times you can find them reading it online. Ooh. So. That's cool. Yeah. That's a good suggestion. Love that. I know. Jamie, he's got, he's full of them. He is. Well, friends, thank you for tuning in to another week. Yeah. Thanks we for should listening. let you know this is probably one of like the last five episodes. We're going to take a break this summer. Yeah, we're taking a summer break. And so, um, if you have final wishes for the last couple episodes that you're just burning things to be answered, let us know. But we'll pick it back up in the fall? Yep. Okay, you heard it here. Hold Josh to it. All right. Bye. Bye.